0: A poet once wrote, Ah, that a man's reach might exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? And Lord, we feel oftentimes that our grasp is very feeble, that we can cling on to so little of what you have revealed for us. But now we ask you by your Holy Spirit, to extend our reach and to enable us to grasp more of what you have for us and more of what you would call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You probably, many of you will will know the story quite well. Uh, It comes from the pages of the New Testament and it concerns something that happened in the fairly early days of the Christian church. A high-ranking official from far away Ethiopia was um, bumping along, quite slowly probably, in his wagon uh, on his way back to his home in Ethiopia. He had as a boy, wait for it, being castrated. And so, therefore, his voice would never break. He would never have hairs on his chest or on his chin. Uh, He would never have a manly muscular physique. And most significant of all, perhaps, he would never father any children. But as a eunuch, he would be particularly trustworthy as an official for two reasons. Firstly, he would be unlikely to meddle with uh, the women in the king's (coughs) harem. And secondly, because he would never have any children of his own, he would have no um, uh, family to give money to, and so therefore he'd be less likely to fiddle the books, fiddle the accounts, and embezzle any money. So there he was, our Ethiopian eunuch. Somehow he's become interested in and somewhat committed to the God of Israel, and he's been up to Jerusalem to worship this God. And now he's making his way back in this wagon of his, and he's reading from the Scriptures. And just at that moment, miraculously, a Christian of Philip arrives. Just as the man and the practice of the day would have been to read out loud, so Philip didn't need a miracle to know what this Ethiopian eunuch was reading. The passage he was reading was, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as lamb before the shearer is done, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And um, the eunuch asked Philip, Who is the prophet talking about? Who is that all about? And then we read, you can read this for yourself in Acts chapter 8. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, which is of course Isaiah chapter 53, and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, it's usually the case in Scripture that conversations like that are seriously truncated. We only get the gist and the main point. And I'm sure, well, I know that, uh, I'm certain, that many other things will have happened in the course of that conversation, which pretty quickly uh, reached, there's some water, what's to stop me being baptised? And so the man was baptised. But I wonder, and I hope it's not too fanciful to wonder whether there might have been another question on that Ethiopian eunuch's mind. We know he asked the question, who is that passage in Isaiah 53 about? But he might well have also asked Philip, who is that passage in Isaiah for? And if so, Philip could well have, and now we finally get round to the point... Philip might well have pointed him to Isaiah chapter 56, eight verses of which Hillary read for us earlier. So now I'll ask you to turn with me to Isaiah 56. It's page 742 and 743 in the Bibles, and I think it would be most helpful to us all if you can have sight of a Bible um, over somebody else's shoulder if you don't have one of your own. Yes, I knew I'd be using that chair before long. Um, So this is the last section, what scholars regard as the last section of of Isaiah. And um, even though scholars will and do discuss endlessly exactly who and exactly when this stuff was written, it's clear enough that it pertains, it relates... To things that were happening roughly 500 years before the coming of Christ, uh, the book, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, um, uh, speaks of the of, of the banishment of God's people in exile in Babylon, and then also it speaks of their return. And these later chapters of Isaiah speak of the beginnings of that return from the Babylonian exile back to. The promised land. Uh, a promised land which, was, uh, which uh, created all kinds of problems for them because they were still under Persian rule and it was by no means straightforward them repopulating that land and the city of Jerusalem as a read in the books like Ezra and Nehemiah. So that's to whom is addressed, but the Ethiopian eunuch may have well have wondered uh, yeah, but does any of this relate to people like me? Um, And just as Isaiah chapter 53, we believe, uh, in a most miraculous and wonderful way, relates to the gospel, just as Philip pointed out to the Ethiopian eunuch. So I believe that we can find, and as Philip would have been able to point out to the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he would have been able to find in this section here, Isaiah 56 and verses 1 to 8, further details about what we regard as the gospel the good news that we know and understand to be revealed supremely in Jesus Christ. I find in this passage, first of all, a gospel welcome. And second of all, I find in this passage gospel entailments. And third of all, I find in this passage gospel blessing. I want to take you through each of those in turn. Gospel welcome, gospel entailments and gospel blessing. Now, the gospel welcome I find all over the place here. Um, but I want you to notice uh, in your Bible that the address is, first of all, very general. It's addressed to anybody and, and everybody who will, who will read or listen. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and so on. There's, there's a general address. But pretty quickly, the people addressed are specified particularly as verse 4 eunuchs, and verse 6, foreigners. Now, do you see why I started off with the Ethiopian eunuch, a foreigner who was a eunuch, obviously. And what we see here is uh, a a marvellous aspect of the fulfilment of an age-old promise that God, that the Lord, had made to and through Abraham. Going right back to the 12th chapter of Genesis, when uh, God promised to Abraham, uh, through you, all people on earth will be blessed. Please notice that. Please, uh, let's drink that truth in. Right back in Genesis, the promise is all people on earth will be blessed through you. And the Old Testament, even though we understand the Old Testament to be primarily about a particular people, the children of Israel, who later became known as as the Jewish people, even within the pages of the Old Testament, not only here, but in many other places and ways, we realise that God's intention has already always been to bless all peoples of the world. Do you remember Rahab, a prostitute from Jericho, do you remember Ruth, a Moabitess, a foreigner, who became part of the ancestry of the Lord Jesus himself and of, uh, before that of David, of, of King David? Now, those who like to find contradictions in the Bible will say, aha, but it says in Deuteronomy 23 that foreigners and eunuchs must not be allowed into the fellowship of God's people. And we also read in writings um, of the same kind of time as uh, as this chapter in Isaiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, also foreigners and others being excluded from the plan and purpose of God. Now, very briefly, I would like to remind you of the age-old promise of God to bless all nations and therefore to regard these exceptions as special measures that were needed for a time to preserve the distinctive identity of the people of God and their purity at a particular time. And we can see that that, that kind of tension between God's purposes for his ancient chosen people, the children of Israel, the Israelites, the, the, the Jewish people, and God's wider and deeper and Uh, and grander purpose for the whole uh, whole world, even in the ministry of Jesus. Did not Jesus himself once say to a foreigner, to a Gentile woman, I was sent only to the lost lost children of Israel? But did he not also give in to her uh, slightly humorous pleadings uh, to bless her? Yes, he did. And did not Jesus teach in John chapter 10, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So by the time that our Lord has been crucified and risen and is about to be ascended, he's sending his disciples on a worldwide mission. You know about the Great Commission. Go into all nations, go to all nations and preach the gospel, baptize them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, I am with you, Promise Jesus. promises Jesus. So there is a gospel welcome here to foreigners and to eunuchs. That is to say to those who might be regarded as from anywhere and everywhere, and especially those who might be regarded as outsiders. You might just like to ponder And maybe this might just be a little chat at the close of the service around tables before you start chatting about football and other things. Um, Who might be regarded as outsiders in our world, in our society, in Norwich today? Beginning with those who are literally foreigners and moving on to those who are disabled or disfigured in some kind of way, as eunuchs have been, and moving on to others who might too easily be regarded as outsiders. And then you might also like to reflect on and maybe even chat about... So what? how are we getting on? How are we, you and I, here at Holy Trinity... How are we getting on in extending God's welcome to outsiders? To taking God's love to outsiders and welcoming them to, to God's love? You can begin with the holiday club. you go on to, just recently, to community games and to Who Cares, and to the work of Beesham. And if you think about the various things, ministries that Holy Trinity is connected with, we have much reason to be thankful. But would you not agree, as I've already prayed, that our grasp of this truth, of welcoming the outsider, welcoming the foreigner, welcome those who I regard as different than ourselves, has uh, much progress to make, within the grace of God. So there's a gospel welcome here, specifically to eunuchs and foreigners, to outsiders, to those who might be regarded as other than ourselves. The second aspect of the gospel that I find in this passage are gospel entailments. Gospel entailments. Let me ask you, do you regard um, God's welcome of uh, people, uh, of all people, as being conditional or unconditional. Altogether now, God's welcome and God's love for others is unconditional. Thank you. And I would agree with you. Of course I would. But we need to face up to some teachings and truths of this passage. Right back in verse 1, uh, God, uh, the Lord is saying, maintain justice and do what it's like. He says, um, uh, blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast. To the eunuchs who keep my sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial name, and uh, and then to the foreigners. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, uh, all who keep the sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. Now, does that begin to sound to you as though they're conditions? Does it sound like that? Sounds to me like conditions. But I'm not calling conditions because we all agreed that God's love is unconditional. So that's why I'm calling them entailments, that God has certain expectations of certain attitudes and behaviours and lifestyles that would be consistent with the welcome that he extends to all. Did Jesus himself not say, if you love me, you will obey what I command? I think we need, on the one hand, to magnify God's free grace and unmerited mercy but also to see ever more clearly that if we say we love God, then we will want to serve him in every way that we can. Does not Hebrews teach that without holiness, no one will see the Lord? So these behaviours, this keeping of the covenant and the keeping of the Sabbath and so on, all couched, of course, in Old Testament terms and, as it were, Christianised by the New Testament, not, less, uh, not least in the letter to the Hebrews. Um, all of these things are certainly not conditions, but they are accompaniments. They're the kinds of things that will happen if we truly love the Lord. It's kind of like, what's the point of me saying I love my wife? if I do not seek to please her and protect her in every way that I can. It would be hypocritical and nonsense, wouldn't it? So there are gospel entailments. No gospel conditions come and welcome. But that coming includes an expression of love and gratitude for all that God has done for us. Remember the teaching of Paul, don't you, in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, On the one hand, you have been saved through faith, uh, by by faith through through God's grace. Um, And this is not your own doing, not because of works, so that nobody can boast. And yet, Paul immediately, the very next verse, goes on to say that we've been created by God for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's keep the freedom of God's grace and the reality of the expression of our love for God hand in hand. Let them walk together throughout your Christian life and throughout the life of this church. Gospel entailment. So that's the first thing, gospel welcome. The second thing, gospel entailments. And now thirdly in this passage, passage gospel blessings. Again, there's a general blessing pronounced in verse 2. Blessed is the man who does this. Who does what? Who maintains maintains justice and who does what is right. But then again, more specifically, to these eunuchs who would never have father children, do you see the promise in verse 5? That God will give them a name better than sons and daughters. How... Many childless women and men, I suppose women especially, have made the one thing that they would want. Oh, just give me a baby, give me a child. And we have uh, that in Scripture, of course, Elizabeth and and, and, uh, and, uh, Samuel's mother, Hannah, uh, and so on. But God now is promising to those who can never father children something better than sons and daughters, a name. Is there a hint here of something that's rarely spoken of in the Old Testament, of eternal life, of being your name and mine, being written in God's book of life forever? That's the promise to the eunuchs and to the foreigner. Joy, in verse 7, joy in my house of prayer. A house of prayer for all nations. There we have, once again, the universality of God's welcome. And then in verse 8, the Sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Yes, there's a welcome to those who might be thought to be beyond the pale, to the maimed, the disfigured, the mutilated, the eunuchs, and also to all foreigners, but still others besides those already gathered. In Africa... What a vast harvest must have followed, or did follow, the conversion of that Ethiopian eunuch. A harvest that's still being reaped this very day, isn't it? And what a vast harvest may yet be reaped as we extend in God's name this gospel welcome and commit ourselves to these gospel entailments and experience this gospel blessing, which is to know God and rejoice in him above all things. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gospel, the good news, that we find even centuries before the coming of your dear son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that prophets like Isaiah looked into these these things and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit saw with astonishing clarity what you were about Thank you for the promise, all those years before that, to Abraham. May we grasp a sense of the, of the hugeness and the scale of your vision and of your love and reach out to those near and far, to those who are like us and those who are unlike us, those we consider one of us and those who we might be tempted to consider to be outsiders. And uh, may this church be known as a church which welcomes which reaches out with that kind of love. Amen.